Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Here's what we're going to be talking about today. The Farm Bill moving along in the Senate, but they've kind of hit a roadblock. Senator Marco Rubio has some concerns over a provision that would promote ag trade with Cuba. He doesn't like that, and he says he'll block any new amendments to the bill unless the Senate strikes a proposal from Senator Heitkamp that would allow USDA funding for foreign market development programs to be spent in Cuba. He has a lot of concerns about that. I've debated that issue with him in the past about uh, promoting trade with Cuba. Uh, it's a strong. He has strong feelings about it, and he's threatening to kind of bring everything to a halt here on the Senate on the farm bill unless he gets uh, what he wants in this. So we'll see if they can work that out. We're going to talk about the farm bill a little bit later with Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Also, we'll continue to look at the, the situation with China. Um, as the, those tensions grow, it has a ripple effect. The, these things don't happen in a vacuum. And we're going to take a look at how trade tensions between the U.S. and China can ripple through a lot of other markets as well. Sam Funk Grain and oilseed analyst for Rabo Research will be joining us a little bit later. And more on the RFS situation, the CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, Brian Jennings, will join us a little bit later as well. Speaking of that topic, let's bring in Todd Neely from DTN. Todd, I know you're watching this RFS situation closely, been reporting on it. Um, what are you hearing now as the news kind of, um, you know, it's been with us now for a couple of days, not only at the uh, RVO proposals by EPA, but also the news of what we've learned about how EPA has handled these waivers and and not gone along with the recommendations of the Department of Energy in many cases. What are you hearing? Well, hi, Mike. Uh, you know, I, I think this uh, this week, I think we learned a lot about where uh, the White House stands on these waiver issues. Um, if you remember last week, um, EPA was set to announce the latest renewable fuel standard volumes, I believe it was on Friday, uh, they postponed that announcement. And at the time, we were talking about a possibility of uh, EPA reallocating some of those lost uh, biofuels gallons to waivers. Um, that proposal was killed. Um, and then we come along to yesterday or the past couple of days with the latest RVOs and um, what we see in the proposal from EPA is that they've essentially said they're not going to address this issue at this time and uh, really give no indication about how they're going to go forward on this. And so I think um, this seems to suggest that the White House, um, who's been very active on these RFS issues, um, has kind of stepped aside when it comes to these waivers. As you know, um, a lot of these ethanol groups have filed suit in a, in a couple of different courts challenging the EPA on, on these waivers. And so um, I think this, more than anything, the news that really hasn't been talked about a lot is that uh, it feels like the White House has taken kind of a hands-off approach on the waivers situation. Um, I think what we're going to see now is uh, this is essentially just going to play out in the court system, unfortunately. Um, you know, uh, Scott Pruitt had also talked about um, – here in recent weeks that there are another uh, 30-some waiver requests um, that EPA has in the hopper right now. So um, it's, really a, it's really a tough situation because I think uh, 
many in the ethanol industry had relied heavily on the White House and its support for the RFS, and now uh, it seems like that, it, it feels like that's kind of the tone of that's changed. I think that's the key point. You make, you're, you're right on, and I've been saying this all along, the president could could have stepped in and, and made Scott Pruitt change their approach yeah. to this, and he has not done it. And I think at some point you got to – I know there's a lot of criticism of Scott Pruitt, obviously, but at some point you've got to look above him to his boss and say, now, wait a minute, if you are so supportive of the RFS, why are you allowing this to go on? Right. And, and I think, too, you know, we've heard so much about the politics of this. You know, on one side we've had uh, the oil industry, refiners, uh, people who also supported this president in the election. Um, you know, it, it kind of put a wedge between – uh, you know the president and and two of his uh, two of his big base of supporters, honestly. And so, um, in a way, it feels like the president uh, is stepping away from this, is trying to take both sides in, in some sense. Because, you know, obviously, if, if he's not out there pushing EPA to to end this practice on the waivers, then I guess in a way he has made a decision. But um, I think the interesting thing going forward is whether. Uh, you know, a lot of pressure on on uh, the president to uh, to fire Scott Pruitt from a lot of different sectors. Although you're not really hearing that much from agriculture, you hear a couple rumblings here and there um, about uh, you know how how the administrator has kind of turned his back on on ethanol and agriculture. And so I think uh, that's probably the the thing going forward here to watch most closely as to whether um, Pruitt does survive in office and and whether the president. Uh, at some point, maybe gets the message. I know Senator Grassley and others have said that uh, the way, the best way to deal with this is to con- continue to put on the pressure uh, on the administrator and others in the administration. Yeah, Senator Grassley has become more and more outspoken about his criticism of uh, Administrator Pruitt. It seems like the the White House policy has gone from trying to get a win-win to letting both sides be unhappy and and criticizing him. And so, which makes me wonder, if Pruitt were to be uh, removed at EPA and someone else takes over, if the White House would, if they're going to continue to allow this, uh, you wonder if it would change at all. Yeah, you know, and that's, that's, the, that's the thing I think is probably, uh, probably the most striking thing here. I, I don't know whether changing that position at EPA is going to matter at all. Um, you know, as we've seen with Scott Pruitt, I mean, he's been highly controversial in a lot of in a lot of areas. Um, and basically, all you're hearing from the White House is that, yeah, we're kind of watching things, and uh, you know, we have some concerns and, and this and that. But there's really never been. Uh, it, it doesn't seem that there's a lot of pressure to get rid of Scott Pruitt. Um, and so I would I would suspect that you know, let's say the president uh, points a, a nominee to head the EPA, who's maybe uh, you know, maybe a little less controversial. Uh, that would seem to that would seem to say that the president really, uh, either way, uh, is kind of hands off when it comes to the EPA. Sure seems that way. Meanwhile, it makes the numbers, the proposal for the levels of the RFS that EPA released, makes them uh, you know questionable because you don't know if they're going to live up to that, if they're going to allow uh, refiners to opt out. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, you know, from what we're hearing, uh, the agency has received basically an unprecedented number of waiver requests that are still hanging out there. Um, so when you look at the RFS numbers, I think overall we had about a 3% increase in the volumes, but 
honestly, if we continue uh, on this path of, you know, anywhere from 500 million to, you know, over a billion gallons a year in waivers, um, that 3% is basically meaningless. Now, um, you know, when it comes to corn ethanol, I, I think it has a pretty good established market with E10 and so on, but uh, we still have the E15 issue hanging out there. And I, I would suspect at this point that um, at the very least, and unless ethanol can get that E15 approved for year-round sales, uh, I think you're going to start hearing actual cries from Midwest uh, senators and others to, uh, to get crewed out of office. All right, Todd, thanks a lot. Good reporting. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, thank you. Todd Neely with DTN. Coming up next, Sam Funk, grain and oilseed analyst for Robo Research, as we talk about trade with China next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I pressed the button and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant, and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to 
buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. Well, with the uh, focus on the Farm Bill and the RFS, and now the Supreme Court, we've not talked as much about China lately, but that's still a very important, critical issue. And here to discuss it with us is Sam Funk, Grain and Oilseed Analyst for the Robo Research Team. Sam, good to talk with you again. Well, good to visit with you, Mike. Uh, I often say when you're talking about these trade issues, especially when you have two giants like the U.S. and China, that uh, it's not isolated to those two countries. You don't you don't uh, have these tensions in a vacuum. Uh, it affects a lot of markets, and you've done some uh, uh, interesting research on that. How this really this dispute impacts a number of different countries. Well, absolutely, and specifically looking at soybeans, you can't hardly talk about soybeans on a global scale without talking about the United States, China, Brazil, and Argentina to a to a you know certain extent, and some other countries become, if you will, smaller players. They can still move markets, but they're still smaller players. But obviously this, this aspect with trade, looking at China, putting a little bit of a, um, a skirmish with the United States on the Soviet rule definitely impacted Brazil this year. Okay, so here's the big question. Some people say, hey, China has to buy from us. Their needs are so big. They're Even in a trade dispute and with all that's going on, they're still going to have to buy from us. What is the real situation as far as how much they can buy elsewhere or how much they would still want to buy, need to buy from us? Uh, do we know that? You know, I think the real answer to that one is if, if China is continuing on the same path that they've shown us here in recent years, uh, they would have to buy U.S. soybeans without a doubt. Uh, the other aspect of that one is they could get by with some of these, if you will, the, the, the front-loaded beans uh, that came out of Brazil. If you look at what happened, what they did this year, they basically – Instead of Brazil dropping down below a million metric tons of exports of soybeans on a monthly basis, they kind of kept that up in that four, three million bushel level and never really closed that window. And China basically said, we're going to go try to get as many beans out of Brazil as we can, even before they started harvest. So can China right now survive without U.S. soybeans? Well, they're going to have to tap off a lot of those strategic reserves, and they just couldn't keep that up long term without coming back to the United States at the same level they've been to. On the same hand, there can be a lot of sway with what happens in global soybean markets and the movement of soybeans as we go forward if they decide to keep this way. Yeah, I guess that's another question. If this dispute continues or even escalates, could we see you know more soybean production in other countries as they see the opportunity to to uh, meet that Chinese uh, market need? You know, Mike, I think I'd be on a very limited basis that you have, you know, a, a large, large-scale volume of soybeans from other countries to meet those needs. I think what you find is probably what you would have. And if you look at Brazil's growth, Brazil's growth in having soybean production down there really started because China was looking for a way to have a, a differentiated uh, place to buy soybeans instead of from the United States. So it's been decades in the making that we've seen the South American juggernaut take place, but it could continue, but it won't meet all of their needs. What you probably have is them having to subsidize uh, their total consumption in China 
it'll be above and beyond their domestic production and above what they can get out of Brazil. They'll probably get some soybeans out of here, the United States. It's it's more the aspect you probably have the United States capping all of those other markets. We've seen a lot of people talking about how many countries have been buying U.S. soybeans that weren't China and Hong Kong. I mean, this, through part of this marketing year already, we've seen we have more sales in soybeans to other destinations than we had in any marketing year prior. It's just that we'll need to have, if you lose 60% of your uh, export market and one market being gone, that's a really difficult thing to make up. But I don't think you'll see that many other countries that can make that large scale of a difference in what total soybean production feeds the marketplace on a global scale. Okay, and we're talking with Sam Funk with Robo Research. That's an interesting point. Let's look at it from the other side. Uh, if we're finding other markets, can we find enough market uh, uh, new markets in other parts of the world to make up for what we could lose with China? You know, Mike, as we look at, uh, you know, we've talked about how many more soybeans we've been able to produce in the United States, and, you know, we're still, you know, it's a, we're an incredibly productive nation when it comes to soybean production. So if we're going to creep up there closer to that 5 billion bushel mark uh, for soybeans, what we'd find is that if you took away China, there's just probably not the overall demand for soybeans at this point in time. Uh, you'd have to have a large-scale, uh, you know, movement in total animal production or some sort of a, you know, uh, other uses that just probably aren't there at this point in time. You need China to be able to talk about consuming all those soybeans that we are so productive of producing. Uh, it's, it'd just be almost impossible to find that much more market space if we if we had this many acres of soybeans. And that's going to put a lot of pressure on the United States for how many acres of soybeans we can meet to satisfy the world. We'll probably have to bring that volume down if, indeed, we have this trade impact that we can't export to China on a regular basis. Yeah, that's the other aspect of this. It could impact the uh... Uh, soybean acres next year here in the U.S. Sam, I guess the, the question is, and all this has to play out, best case scenario, we get this worked out with China and we get back to, you know, selling them more. But if we lose whatever percentage of that market is, it has, if can we, if it's small enough, then maybe we could make it up in some of these other markets. But if it gets, whatever that line is, if it gets beyond that, then as you say, it'd be pretty hard to, 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 uh, uh, to find enough markets for the soybeans we're growing now? You know, the, the best thing about this one is, Mike, we're the world's number two consumer of soybeans as a single nation. And we have a fantastic domestic market, and it's strong, and our soybeans are incredibly um, useful with the dynamic, uh, you know, animal feeding, um, the use of the oil, and everything else out through there. It's, it's a great crop, and, and we're definitely a dynamic producer out through there. But we more than produce what we need for our domestic needs. We've been exporting roughly 60% of our total production uh, when you look at it. We simply can't give up on a marketplace which it consumes 60% of those exports and expect the rest of the world to take it on. It's, it, this world has changed so much in the last 20 years, and I bet if you give it another five, it'll change that much more. And we really need to have that, that market back in place, or we're going to have a dynamic shift and over our marketing strategies and then the crop mix we're going to have here in the United States. And, of course, the other layer to this, and it shows how it's all intertwined, we need that livestock market, that livestock sector, to be doing well as a market for the soybean products. But if these trade disputes, like with NAFTA, for instance, if that starts impacting uh, what we're exporting as far as livestock is concerned, then that 
interrupts or that hurts the demand for soybeans uh, here domestically? Well, and absolutely. When you start having, you know, the aspects of China looking at having those import tariffs on U.S. pork, and obviously U.S. pork is a large-scale domestic consumer for soybean meal here in the United States. You talk about NAFTA. I mean, think about the volume of hams that go down from the United States uh, down into Mexico. You think about, you know, the dynamics in through there. I mean, we are a global player in agriculture, and we have a uh, a large-scale need for exports because we are so productive. Um, it's one of those aspects. We need that outlet. We need those markets to be able to compete. And that's what I think American agriculture producers want to do. Is they want to compete. We want to compete on a level playing field and move those uh, products uh, where the markets tell us to go. And that's the efficiency portion of this, is where can we move all of these products out through. And when you've got these trade disputes that come in, obviously domestic livestock, is is that area where we're going to be concerned about that on a domestic scale to consume it because you could hurt not only from an export potential there but indirectly through exports of livestock because you need that domestic consumption which ends up in exports there as well. We've seen the markets react, a lot of volatility uh, since all of this news has come out. What's the potential downside if we can't come to some resolution with, with China? Well, so... Mike, I think there's a lot of different things that come out through here. If indeed we get that additional 25% tariff and it looks like we're going to have, you know, it's not just on the tariff as well. You've also got to talk about, you know, can, can, if once you get the boats there, will you get the inspections and the certificates to be able to unload those soybeans when they get there as well? So there's a lot of other factors that aren't just direct pricing. But, you know, I think uh, you could put together some scenarios. We had a large soybean crop last year. Um, I'm over here in Ohio today, and I've seen a lot of good-looking beans through Indiana, Ohio, uh, during this trip. And, I mean, if we have another balance of crop and, and a really strong one, and then you add on, you know, a lot more as far as for export uh, distribution that kind of hampers those exports, I mean, you could be talking, I mean, seriously about taking beans, sticking eight in front of there, thinking about it, and wondering if you'll ever have to hit seven, and then thinking, wow, I think what might happen is we'll have those reduction in acres and we just won't be at the level that we've seen soybeans grow to. It's a valuable crop. It has a lot of benefits to the world. The aspect is now we need that world trade to open up so that we can feed that world and still have that balanced crop be profitable for production agriculture. A lot at stake here for sure. Sam, good to talk with you again. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Mike. Take care. You too. Sam Funk, grain and oilseed analyst for the Robo Research Team. All right, coming up next, Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation. We'll take a look at where they're at with the uh, Senate Farm Bill, some things to overcome. They still want to get it done this week. What are the chances that they'll do that, and what's in there that we should be watching? We'll talk about that with Andrew Walmsley next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? 
Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Grain and oil seed sector on this Thursday trading session. A bit defensive in corn and soybeans. Wheat futures have seen a mix. Some traders likely positioning ahead of USDA's numbers tomorrow. The Ag Department on Friday will update market participants on how many acres of crops U.S. farmers planted this year, along with recent quarterly stocks. Average guess on corn stocks, 5.2 million bushels. Soybeans 1.2. Both those numbers would be higher than a year ago. For the first time in 30 years, USDA expected to predict that farmers planted more soybeans this year than corn. November new crop soybeans on the downside. Initial support lies at 882 and a quarter. 10-day moving average at 905 and a half. December corn settled little changed yesterday. We're a penny and a fraction lower an hour into this Thursday trading session. The 10-day moving average serving as a resistance at 375 and a half. For the wheats, we're a fraction lower in Chicago, two to three lower in Kansas City. Minneapolis spring wheat, one to two and a fraction lower. Heavy rains have plagued parts of the upper Midwest for over a week. Social media full of pictures of flooded fields in northern Iowa and southern Minnesota. But the forecast calling for mostly favorable conditions for the Midwest and crops over the next five to seven days. Livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures. We are trending in a mix. Nearby June, near unchanged, down a nickel at 106.97. Cash cattle activity yesterday marked at 105 to mostly 106 generally down $2 from a week ago. Feeder cattle, August contract, up 62 at 146.37. Lean hogs, July, up 32 at 80.55. Outside markets, the Dow down 42. Crude oil up 76 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, they continue to work on the farm bill in the Senate. They want to get it done this week, but they've hit a bit of a roadblock with uh, Senator Rubio from Florida throwing up a 
uh, kind of a stop sign here saying he's going to block anything from getting done because he wants to see changes in U.S.-Cuba economic policy. Let's talk about it with Andrew Walmsley, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Uh, How big a roadblock is this? Can they get this worked out, you think, today? Well, I, I, I try to stay optimistic. I think we will be able to get through this. Uh, talking with Florida Farm Bureau, they're engaged with Senator Rubio's office. It sounds like there might be some movement there, but we haven't necessarily seen that on the floor yet. So we're, we're confident that they can move on and hopefully still get a farm bill wrapped up this week. They certainly want to get it done this week, and um, the the pressure is kind of mounting to get it done Um uh, Senator, Senate Majority Leader McConnell really pushing to get it done, so there's a lot of push there. Uh, we've seen some interesting things so far, though, including uh, Senator Grassley able to get some language that he wanted in concerning payment. Tell us what's in there. Yeah, so to your first point, uh, I think there is a strong desire, you know, to get the bill done. Uh, this has obviously been a priority for Leader, Leader McConnell, uh, Mr. Schumer. There's a lot of provisions in there. There's definitely a bipartisan effort to get this completed, and I think there's even more of an urgency uh, for farmers and ranchers to make sure they're applying pressure to their senators this week to wrap the farm bill up as we see the announcement on uh, Supreme Court. I think the Senate's going to get even more on really over the next this this week. Uh, you mentioned Senator Grassley's amendment uh, being put in there in the substitute amendment. Obviously, this is something that uh, Farm Bureau doesn't support, uh, you know, going back to our policy, it's dealing with actively engaged and, you know, makes it harder for farmers and, ranch, uh, farmers and ranchers to manage their risk, uh, you know, it isn't something we're going to be supportive of. I uh, would note that the House uh, doesn't have a provision like Mr. Grassley's, and there's going to be the opportunity conference if the Senate is able to complete their bill. So that'll be something that we'll be looking at as the uh, two chambers conference their bill and hopefully still get a conference report back out before the end of September. Yeah, Grassley's provision would change that actively engaged rule set by USDA, which would determine whether someone can qualify for up to $125,000 in commodity subsidies. Uh, The amendment Senator Grassley has got in there would limit the number of managers eligible for subsidies to one per farm with a goal of preventing people who aren't involved in farming on a day-to-day basis from receiving payments. As you pointed out, Andrew, this is not in the House bill, so that's one more big difference they're going to have to work through in conference committee. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, overall, you know, we see a lot of similarities outside of now this actively engaged issue in the nutrition title. If you look at the bills on the whole, uh, you know, we, we don't see a lot of changes to crop insurance, which is an important tool for, for farmers and ranchers. Overall, the commodity titles are, are mostly unchanged. You know, the Senate's taken a little bit different approach to trying to plus up the ARC program. The House is, is trying to address PLC. So I don't think we're anywhere where things can't be worked out. Uh, we know it's going to have to be a compromise, and we have confidence in, you know, the leadership of folks like uh, Chairman Conway, Ranking Member Peterson, and then obviously Chairman Robertson. Uh, Mrs. Stabenow. Okay, you brought up crop insurance. That's such a key part of this. Uh, Senator Durbin, Illinois Senator Durbin's attempts to make some changes in crop insurance, have those been defeated or are they still in play? Uh, I would say they're still in play. Uh, this all kind of ties back to the, the Senator Rubio question. Uh, we haven't had the ability 
uh, to address too many amendments on the floor. Uh, that, that amendment is pending to the bill. Um, that is actually an amendment that is Senator Durbin and Senator Grassley. That's causing a little frustration once again, uh, particularly for, you know, you look at our Illinois Farm Bureau and Iowa Farm Bureau, they had had some assurances that um, these members might not go after crop insurance, and yet we see an amendment. So that's something that our members are weighing in on, one that we're going to hopefully be able to defeat on the floor, but we'll see as the day progresses. And what is it that Senator Durbin is pushing for, a requirement for farmers to meet uh, wetland protections uh, and highly erodible lands protections to be eligible for uh, crop insurance or a, a premium discount, something like that? Well, it, it, it's actually eligibility in uh, AGI, uh, limiting those okay. producers that could participate in crop insurance. Uh, so you would actually uh, disrupt the, the risk pools um, that would impact all farmers that participate in, in crop insurance. You know, a lot of that risk is spread over acreage, and so if you're limiting the amount of producers that can enroll and participate in, in crop insurance, it makes it tougher for, for everybody else. We're talking with Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation about uh, the Senate Farm Bill. Now, they've, they've done some things on conservation. Bring us up to date there. Yeah, so there was, you know, some amendments uh, that were offered in, in committee, um, you know, the Senate Farm Bill looks at increasing the Conservation Reserve Program up to 25 million acres. The House is looking at a uh, 29 million acre escalation with a stair-step design on re-enrollment at rental rates. Uh, there's still a pending amendment now from Senator Thune that's also on the bill, uh, opening up some opportunities to uh, utilize haying and grazing on CRP lands, providing some flexibility to producers there, particularly in times of drought or other natural disasters. So that's another amendment that yet has been has not been adopted to the bill, but we expect to be considered possibly today. What are they doing with sugar? Uh, there's been amendments filed, but no, so far no indication that they will be considered uh, in, in the Senate. You know, Chairman Roberts just actually got off the floor talking about the number of amendments that were adopted in the, the base text uh, or standalone bills that they incorporated in the base text, over 70 amendments in committee and then 18 in the substitute that was adopted yesterday. So I think he's making the case that there's there's been a lot of, uh, of input up, uh, available for senators, um, but I'm kind of taking that as a point. We might not see too many more amendments considered by the Senate. So uh, we saw the resounding defeat to the sugar amendment in the House. I hope that sent a clear message to the Senate. Uh, it could still be brought up, but at this point, it doesn't appear to be. This farm bill debate has also offered a platform for those concerned about uh, the trade tariffs the administration has been putting on. Yeah, so there was a, a move afoot yesterday uh, by Senator Corker to have an amendment filed dealing with tariffs. Uh, you know, Farm Bureau actually doesn't have a specific policy on that. The, the amendment wasn't uh, considered by the Senate. I think the biggest thing we could do for trade right now is get a farm bill done uh, when it comes to certainty for farmers and ranchers. Uh, you know, obviously the administration is trying to work out the best deal possible, but that's injected uh, a lot of consternation in the countryside because of, of those tariffs and, and retaliation from countries. But, you know, one thing that Congress could do and, and what we're encouraging them to do is to alleviate some of that consternation is to provide some certainty with a farm bill and, and voting it out of the Senate, Senate chamber this week. It'll be interesting as well, uh, the president's take on, on the farm bill. And, of course, we're ways away from a final bill. But we know the Senate's not going to take up uh, the changes in the SNAP program that the House did with worker requirements and things like that. 
the president has come out in favor of some of those changes on the House side. He probably would have even liked to see more, but uh, he stopped short of saying he would veto a bill if it doesn't have it in there. So, But we have to kind of wait and see on that, don't we? Yeah, obviously it's a fluid fluid process. Um, I think we're, we're grateful for where the administration is at this point. Obviously pretty supportive of the House Farm Bill, didn't issue a veto threat when it came to the Senate Farm Bill. Uh, president's, I think, given a lot of leeway for negotiations to take place between the two chambers. So, like I said earlier, I, we, we have confidence in the leadership on, on the House and Senate um, to iron out these differences, to uh, get a good conference report that's good for farmers and ranchers, and one that uh, can get the president's desk or get to the president's desk and put his signature on it. The wild card now, and you alluded this to this earlier. The wild card now becomes the Supreme Court situation, which figures to just dominate everything in Washington now for a while. Uh, do you see that slowing down getting the farm bill done this year? Well, I think a lot of that depends on what happens in the next 24 hours or so in the Senate. Uh, I think we're, if we're able to get through some of this um, amendment challenges, uh, you know, the leaders filed cloture so they could consider the bill later tonight on final passage or tomorrow. I, I think there's a strong desire, and the message we continue to, to push is let's get this done. Let's get it done this week. Uh, you know, the Senate goes on recess next week. Uh, they're going to be back home with constituents. Uh, we'd much rather have our farmers and ranchers thanking their senators for getting a farm bill done because we know when they come back uh, that this Supreme Court uh, deal is, is going to shake things up and make Washington even more interesting than it was before. How quick do you think they'll get to conference then? Uh, I think I think everybody's want to catch their breath uh, over the over the July Fourth recess, but uh, you know, there's, staff can start working immediately. Uh, I would expect in mid July or shortly thereafter they return that we could see conferees announced. You know, they've got plenty of time to work through uh, July. Uh, staff can work through August. We're hearing that you know the Senate's going to stay in session in August. And then you've got most of the month of, of September to work through differences. So there, there's no reason not to get a farm bill done on time, particularly if we can get out of the Senate this week. Yeah, no reason. But uh, sometimes we see things <laughs> happen that uh, are kind of beyond reason sometimes in Washington. Well, that's what makes it so interesting. And, you know, Mike, we represent folks to put a seed in the ground and hope to harvest something a few months later. So I think we all got to stay optimistic in this process and but continue to keep pressure on our elected officials to, to get the, get it across the finish line. Yep. Next step is get this thing passed in the Senate and either uh, today or tomorrow. What, do you think they would what? If they can wrap it up today, vote tomorrow, or would a vote come late today? Like, uh, I think a lot of this is still pretty fluid. Um, it is uh, a Friday before recess, so, you know, jet fumes get pretty pretty hot yep. and heavy here in Washington as folks want to get home. So maybe that's a little impetus for them to wrap it up tonight, but hopefully uh, maybe tomorrow at the latest. All right, Andrew, thank you very much. Thanks, sir. Andrew Walmsley, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation, the latest on the Farm Bill. Coming up next, Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. 
If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed so if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep call now for prices and information and then decide when you see how little they cost discover craftmatic for less up to 50 percent less than today's leading memory foam brand call 1-800-318-7903 that's 1-800-318-7903 1-800-318-7903 call now i'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better how do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. 
If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. We're joined now by Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian, thanks for joining us. I was thinking, you know, this week we had the proposal from EPA on the RVO levels for, uh, you know, the RFS. And and while the numbers themselves look good or, or fine, that should have been a day to be pretty happy in the biofuels industry and yet it's really uh those numbers are are just frustrating and a reminder of how um shallow those numbers are because we don't know if uh, uh epa is going to make the refiners uh stick to those numbers or not based on what we've seen so far well mike you said it really well when you used the word shallow i, I couldn't agree more with you um it, it it's really frustrating that we have to continue to talk about the problems that we are having with um, a federal agency whose leader claims to be someone who wants to look out for um, America's farmers and ranchers. And, and in some cases, I guess you could argue has done that. But when it comes to the implementation of the RFS, not, not at all. And, and the numbers look good on the surface, right? 19.88 billion gallons total. Uh, for 2019. That's nearly 20 billion gallons. Um, 4.88 billion of that to be advanced biofuel, a, a nice little bump on paper for advanced biofuel for, for, for biodiesel, um, leaving 15 billion gallons for conventional biofuel, which, you know, that's what we all consider the corn ethanol pool to be. Um, so, gosh, it looks pretty good on paper, but then you start to dig into the 82 pages of the EPA proposal. And you realize we were way, way, way wrong when we estimated 1.5 billion gallons of, of demand destruction from these small refinery exemptions. It actually turns out that EPA has allowed refiners to keep to the tune of 2.25 billion gallons worth of RINs. And so you have to subtract that 2.25 billion number from 15 billion gallons, and we're talking below 13 billion gallons in terms of what the the real demand has has been, and that's um, that that really hurts uh, corn farmers, ethanol producers, at a time when we can uh, least afford it. It's almost like the difference between gross income and net income it can be a big difference there. <laughs> that's exactly right. I'm sorry if I interrupted you. I think that's funny, but it's. Uh, uh, it's a great analogy, absolutely. There is a huge difference between those two. 
And this is an income hit to American agriculture. We're talking nearly 900 million bushels of corn grind hurt by this, 2.25 billion gallons of ethanol demand destruction. We're probably looking at close to $6 billion of economic damage to America's corn farmers and um, renewable fuels industry as a result of this so far, Mike. I mentioned earlier in the program, it almost seems like the White House now has, has just stepped back and say, we're not going to interfere in this. We're not going to stop uh, EPA Administrator Pruitt from granting these waivers. We're kind of taking a hands-off approach, or at least that's the way it, the way it seems right now. It makes you wonder if the White House is paying attention um, to what's going on, Mike, absolutely. One of the things that really ate at my craw under the Obama administration is that we had a guy in President Obama who, who said he was a supporter of renewable fuels and, and did when he was an Illinois senator, but he in the White House would not at all step on EPA. He allowed Gina McCarthy to pretty much do whatever the heck Gina McCarthy wanted to do when she was EPA administrator. And with President Trump, I think everyone was under the impression, okay, this guy made very concrete promises about ethanol, about the renewable fuel standard, about E15 use year-round while he was campaigning. He's reiterated those concrete promises now that he's president. And he's he, he, I don't want to call him a micromanager, but he likes to get his hands involved in stuff, right? And so you would think he or the people around him would be paying attention to what EPA is doing. But, gosh, it makes you wonder, are they? And also makes you wonder, even if Scott Pruitt leaves EPA, as some think he will, whether by his own choice or, or the president's, uh, it makes you wonder if depending on who's in there next, if, if that would change at all. Maybe this is the, the way the White House is going to handle this. It, it does. I, um, I, I'm, I'm horrible at making predictions, but I cannot believe that Scott Pruitt will keep his job. Um, I don't know when it, things will change, but I, I assume he won't be in this position too much longer. Um, the, the assistant administrator, excuse me, the deputy administrator of EPA, Andy Wheeler um, is a former Capitol Hill staffer. He worked for Senator Inhofe of Oklahoma. He's been a lobbyist for fossil fuels. Um, and, and, and certainly he's not um, an ally or a friend of renewable fuels. But i got to say, I, ca I can't think it can get a whole lot worse. I think because he worked on Capitol Hill for a member of Congress, Andy Wheeler, if he were to serve in the position of EPA administrator, would at least adhere to the rule of law, and not, not just make the promise, but, but actually follow the law. So there, there may be hope if there's a change. And, of course, you're also looking to your, your legal action, the, the lawsuit you have filed, you're a part of, as the American Coalition for Ethanol. Any word on the timetable of those? I wish I had some news for you on the timetable. We did have to file um, a response to... Um, the Tenth Circuit just trying to d get their arms around whether the exemptions that the EPA has issued to refineries really just really were what what's called final action, and so we provided some paperwork to them on that. But we don't have a timetable on when um, briefings will be be submitted, when the oral arguments might commence. The frustrating thing about court cases is that they're not only expensive, they take a long time. 
But we're really left with no other choice right now until and unless the White House really rattles uh, Scott Pruitt's cage and gets him to reverse some of these harmful decisions. The only recourse we really have is, is the court system. All right, Brian, thank you for the update and perspective. We, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. All right, that wraps it up for today. Coming up tomorrow, we'll keep you up to date on what they do in the Senate on the Farm Bill. We're also going to have another Farm Progress Show preview. We'll talk with Matt Youngman, uh, Director of National Events for Farm Progress, as uh, that Farm Progress Show not that far away. We'll see how preparations are going. Hope you'll join us tomorrow here on Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win, and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat, I would flip-flop all night long, I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache, or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented my pillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time you spend in bed, it's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota, a 10-year warranty, and you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever. Get four my pillows for the price of one. That's right. Get four my pillows, two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get four my pillows for the price of one. Call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to mypillow.com and at checkout use promo code FARM11.